0: Proceeding from the great commission given by Jesus to make disciples of all nations, the early church exploded and countless souls were made new by the atoning work of Christ. Dead hearts were made alive and churches sprouted up throughout the world. As a need for clear and concise biblical interpretation arose, the reformed confessions of the faith were written and still have a major impact on the church today. The Confessional Collective desires to see healthy, theologically sound churches planted and on mission for the Kingdom of Christ. Welcome
1: to The Confessional Collective. Welcome to The Confessional Collective, where truth meets mission. I am your host, Aaron Carr. Today I am joined not only by my buddy, uh, Chris Centola, but also by our worship pastor here at First Pres. His name is David Menzel. Unbeknownst to everybody, David does all of the... Uh, technical side of things, so all the mess-ups are his fault.
0: <laughs> Wrong.
1: <laughs> the reason that nobody hears all the mess-ups is my fault. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, for real, uh, David just actually had a another child. Well, you didn't. Your wife did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, your fourth child. Uh, And you named him a very good Presbyterian name. Want to tell the audience what that is? Knox Ezekiel. Knox Ezekiel. Man, that
0: that is a strong Presbyterian (laughs) name right there. You can't get
1: much stronger (laughs) than Knox Ezekiel.
2: (laughs) Oh, man. So how's that going for you, David? I'm literally half asleep right now. Uh, <laughs> he's only about he's not quite a week old yet so it's going good but uh tiring i forgot it's been four years since the last one so i forgot how exhausting babies are
1: <laughs> now we're we're trying to get this baby baptized we're going to be doing it sunday um we
2: almost made it to eight days but it's going to be at like 11. oh uh, so. <laughs> we just missed
1: it the cutoff <laughs>
2: Unless you want to have a special service or something,
1: David, you came from a, a non-Presbyterian background, so all this stuff has kind of been rocking your world. And uh, it started as we started talking about the the creeds and confessions, and then obviously baptism came up, and now it's uh, you've taken kind of to to use this phrase the bull by the horns. And really have been moving us into more of a uh, a true liturgical worship. It's just been something that's been heavy on your heart. It's been heavy on my heart too. Mm-hmm. And and we're we're watching First Pres worship really be refined. Uh, we do use, as we've mentioned in a previous podcast, the the guilt grace gratitude um, outline. Uh, we add in the beginning glory, which focuses on the glory of God. Um, but that's been something kind of near and dear to you. And so, what I want to do today is specifically with having Chris, a guy who's led worship for a long time, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I wanted to add David to this podcast. And I want to talk to uh, our uh, to our listeners specifically about worship in a reform perspective, specifically in the aspect of simplicity, the simplicity of worship. I think this is something a lot of times we just we don't even pay attention to. Uh, it's maybe intrinsic in our understanding that we don't need all the all the bells and all the whistles, it's, it's just the simplicity of worship. But I wanted to kind of go through the doctrinal reasons why and explore what does it look like on the opposite end. And to start us off today, what I want to do is turn to um, chapter 7 of the Westminster Confession. I'm going to be looking at specifically paragraphs 5 and 6. So if you'll bear with me, I'm going to read those and make a couple comments, and then I want to jump over to a book by oh, uh, by um, sorry, Robert Rayburn called O Come, Let Us Worship. And I want to just use these as a springboard into our conversation. So let's begin with the Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 7, paragraph 5. This covenant, specifically referring to the covenant of grace, was differently administered in uh, the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, and Paschal Lamb, and other times and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews, all for uh, for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit to instruct and to build up the elect in the faith in the um, promise of the Messiah by whom they have full remission of sin and eternal salvation and is called the Old Testament. Okay, so in paragraph five, it gives a very quick overview um, of, the, of the fact that this is the same covenant, covenant of grace, just seen through Paschal Lamb, seen through law, and all pointing forward to Jesus Christ, uh, the Messiah, and that the same uh, salvation of the New Testament saints was the same salvation of the Old Testament saints. Now, paragraph six says this, Under the gospel, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the ordinance in which the covenant is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which though few in number and administration are more simply uh, and less outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament. There are not therefore two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the same under various dispensations. Obviously the case that is made here is that we have uh, one covenant of grace, not two. The New Testament and the Old Testament are one in the same, Uh, they're they're administered differently in which they show, as we've already said, the Old Testament through signs and shadows. Um, In the New Testament, the fullness of Jesus Christ realized. But it was the focus of how that is explicitly played out in worship in paragraph six that I want to draw our attention to, that in the simplicity of the preached word and the administration of the sacraments. And as you begin to think about that, I think we need to kind of wrap our minds around Old Testament worship had all of these things going on. They had uh, signs and, and, and illustrations, shadows, types, um, everything from temple worship uh, to the altar um, all these all these elements that signified the work of what Christ would do. But now that Christ has come and we have been uh and now that, that 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 salvation is fully realized in his person and work, therefore now there's the simplicity of worship. To kind of draw on this, I want to now come to Robert Rayburn in his book, Oh Come, Let Us Worship, where he specifically is talking about this, um, this benefit of Christ in the New Testament. It says, proper worship will reflect all that Christ is, all that he has done, and all that he is doing. Let me read that again. Proper worship will reflect all that Christ is, all that he has done, and all that he is doing. He goes on to give this argument. All elements of the synagogue worship which do not allow for this confession of the incarnate Christ and the proper worship of him, were immediately eliminated. That's an important point, that we didn't carry over all these Old Testament bells and and whistles, but those things were eliminated that did not, um, first and foremost, uh, accentuate the, the incarnate Christ. An example he gives is the great Shema. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, verses 4 and following where it talks about the Lord our God He is one. That's a very uh, specific which would uh, uh, declaration uh, which which it, that that was unique to the Jews uh, in, in opposition to all the pagans but it's interesting that in Christian worship we don't open our worship services by uh, by by reciting the great Shema because of the Trinitarian focus, which we celebrate as as the progressive revelation begins to reveal. Um, the Jews didn't fully understand that in the same way that we New Testament um, believers hold to in in our understanding that Christ is God, and 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 which would have seemed foreign to a lot of uh, of Jewish worshipers there in the Old Testament, and yet we have this continuity where we're told in Galatians three that. Uh, The gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. So all of this comes back to the fact that same gospel, same way of salvation, two different administrations. One was very complex in the Old Testament through shadows and types. And now we come to the New Testament and specifically the Westminster Confession to drawing our attention and focus to the fact that really the elements of worship are simply the preaching of the word and the sacraments. And this is where I want you fellows to jump in. And I think one of the first things we have to do is deal with the progressive nature of worship. So, Chris, I'm going to punt to you for a second and just help us understand the progressive nature of Revelation and the way in which it impacts worship specifically.
0: Well, I think as you look at the Old Testament, you see the, the redemptive historical narrative uh, begin very simply and it begins right out of Genesis to start to kind of blossom and uh, and expand out from there. And as you mentioned, we start seeing various types, various shadows, uh, and then you get into, uh, later on, uh, Israel and the, uh, the worship liturgy of the nation, and there's all kinds of stuff going on there in, in Leviticus. Uh, that starts describing how God is to be worshiped, and and it goes on from there. And then you could look at the whole Old Testament itself uh, of all of these various types and shadows and figures and everything ultimately pointing to the person and work of Christ. Now, when Christ comes and uh, all of these things, we understand from the New Testament, find their fulfillment in him, all of the promises of God find their fulfillment in him, uh, the types, the shadows, he is the substance, uh, it, it all becomes distilled down to the person and work of Christ. And so where there was this very broad, complex system of temple worship and worship there earlier in the tabernacle and all of that, uh, we don't look to that as our model for worship. We, we look to the New Testament Uh, as we're talking about, simplicity of what is prescribed for us. And it really comes down to the simplicity of word and sacrament, that all of those things—and when I say word and sacrament, I always— I love that because even as we talk about the, the sacraments in distinction from the word, the object of the sacraments is none other than Christ himself. Uh, The the sacraments are nothing but the gospel being proclaimed uh, visibly and tangibly, physically. Uh, But it's the exact same thing. Uh, You know, people have asked, can can somebody be saved by uh, observing a baptism? Well, if it's being done in a biblical manner, then yes, because the gospel is going to be being proclaimed there in that baptism, uh, and the same with the Lord's Supper. Uh, The object is Christ himself and his work on our behalf. So it really all comes down to the simplicity of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And for us, when it comes to our worship, it it makes it far more uh, simple to where we don't have to look to all of these various objects. things that previously had to be done in Israel's worship, that now it comes down to we sit under the preaching of the Word, we are baptized and perform baptisms, we participate regularly in the Lord's Supper, and that's it.
1: Uh, The, The progressive nature, you know, again, we're stressing, first of all, there's not two different ways of salvation. There's one. It's always been pointing forward to Christ. The Old Testament was shadows and types, which we may use the language of a seed and a bud, and it's beginning to sprout more and more information given. But when Christ comes, we have the full bloom of his realization. All these things were pointing forward to him. But now as you begin to move forward, the explanation of the epistles, which is maybe a fuller bloom, a more, an even more robust understanding of who he is and what he came to do as Paul and, and others are beginning to write and describe that for the church, there's a narrower focus on who this Jesus Christ is, that he alone is the way of salvation, and that ultimately it's in him that we have access to worship God. Exactly. Yeah. You know, one of the things I think, uh,
0: if I remember right, it was GK Beal talked about this uh, of not going back to the types and shadows that we now have the substance. And he used this example of back when he was going to school that, you know, he had been courting his wife and he had a picture of her that uh, she had given him. And so, you know, he would look at this picture and, you know, admire this picture and, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, he said maybe occasionally he might have kissed that picture, <laughs> but uh, but he said but then you know when they are now married how weird would that be in the presence of his wife to focus that same kind of attention now on this picture? His wife would be like, "What are you doing? I'm here. the the substance is here now, present. Um, you don't go back to the the types and shadows." And uh, I always thought that was kind of a, a useful illustration, that now all of those things, we can, uh, now having Christ, we can look back and see how all of those things pointed to him and you know, and revealed who he would be and what he would do. But now that the substance is here, uh, it, it has been distilled down, our worship has been distilled down to a far more uh, simple understanding of and uh, and how we go about our worship has been greatly refined and simplified under the new covenant.
2: I think. Go ahead, yeah, yeah, I think we have a tendency to want to go back to that. We want to overcomplicate it because we want to have more to do rather than submitting just to the word and submitting to the simplicity of worship that we have. We want right. to 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 see this stuff fleshed out. We're looking for for drama and uh, just things to do and not recognizing that all of that's already there it's all fulfilled in Christ I was thinking about um, so we have all these types and shadows and recognizing that in that fulfillment that's all still present in Christ just in its completeness so you've got the types you've got the uh, the examples of Moses he's this deliverer and then you see the true and greater Moses in Christ or you've got uh, David Mm -hmm. who's a flawed king now we have the perfect king in Christ so understanding the Old Testament and understanding those types and shadows is important because then you see how it is actually all fulfilled in Christ and it makes all that make more sense so then it's it's actually richer now that we have Christ and uh in in his fullness
1: why do you think so many um people are trying to make worship so complex (laughs) and and what I mean is they're going backwards. Like they're, they're reverting back to, as you, you brought in an example, David, you said a drama. We saw the rise of the drama in like the nineties in churches. Mm -hmm. And, and then it, it got to be a movement away from preaching and it became more a conversation. And it was a sharing, if you will. Uh, the authority of scripture was kind of removed in the emergent church. Um, we saw that movement. Uh, we saw the, uh, the way in which communion became uh, more complex and uh, just all these different th- attacks in trying to move away from simplicity to complexity. Why, why do you think that is the case as we see a consistent attack on Christian worship?
2: I actually think it comes from uh, an instinctive kind of desire to go back to to be involved in it if that makes sense so there are ebbs and flows in the way that worship has gone over the years and when you get to where you're just sitting and listening and people have lost the art of uh, listening attentively to a sermon and I think it's important to remember that that's actually part of worship that we're taking it in and we're involved in in listening to the word uh, so as we've forgotten how to do that, then you have to replace it with something else. So you, you bring in drama or as we lose the, uh, the drama of the sacraments, which is, that's the visible sign of the gospel being preached. Right. So we get to see the gospel in those yet. If it's done, uh, lazily or, uh, not very often, then you lose that drama and it just becomes a ritual. And instead of being something that's, that's moving and expressing the gospel, it's something, uh, Kind of dull, so I think the fact that we have uh, become so kind of stale a lot of times in that has made people feel like, okay so we got to replace this with something else, and that's where you end up with with the lights and the drama and the because we're longing for that and not recognizing that it's already there to be had
0: right I think it comes down to our innate issue of always trying to uh, to do something bigger and better. You know, how can I improve upon this? And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I love. I heard someone say once, Sola Scriptura uh, is meant to safeguard us from a million, quote, good ideas that man comes up with. And I think there's this desire to entertain, uh, a desire to somehow improve upon things, and that, so we, we start complicating things. We want to move out from that simplicity of the gospel, that simplicity of the, the word and sacraments, the simplicity of worship prescribed in the New Testament, and start adding all kinds of things into that. And it does, David, I think it really does ultimately start becoming more about people, like more about man than it does about God. You know, I hear people, I like, give their testimony And it's all you know. I was this. I was that. You know, I did this. I did that. And and then Jesus. And now I this. And I this. And I this. And I'm like, where's the testimony about Jesus?
1: (laughs) This is just all about you. I I see Um, the. Go ahead. I was gonna say. I just see the. I see the root attack at contentment. They're not mm, content in Christ. Right, the means of grace are are Christ. If we're satisfied in Christ, I want more Christ. I want to focus on Christ. I'm not looking to go outside of Christ to find any of that satisfaction or that joy. So I'm I'm content in the simplicity of Jesus. And and, and what I mean by that is a way he is described in the word and the sacrament. I'm right. not looking for for what I can do or how I can make myself feel or what I can conjure up. My my joy is in him. Yeah.
0: Well, think about it this way, too. Especially here in America, we are pragmatists to the max. And, you know, everybody always looks at that like, well, does it work? And so if somehow people lose confidence, if church leaders lose confidence in the power of the preached word, in the efficacy of the sacraments, what are they going to do? Well, what what works then? And so other stuff starts being brought in to try and supplement that, and it's simply pragmatism. I've said before, pragmatism is the philosophy of ministry adopted when we don't believe that the gospel can and will do what the scripture says it can and will do. And so I think worship begins to be complicated with all kinds of other stuff, and I speak of that like worship service. I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about is our our gathering in corporate worship. Because, uh, you know, we start moving away from exposition of scriptures, and like you said, well, let's just have more of a conversation. Uh, We start moving away from the simplicity of the sacraments, and we want to include a hundred other things uh, going on in the service, somehow thinking that that is going to make our witness more effective, our evangelism more effective. And, uh, and ultimately it's moving us away from that simple
1: gospel, a uh, new covenant worship that is given to us in scripture. I, I want to return for a second to Robert Rayburn and just bounce this off you guys. He says this, he says their corporate worship was the expression of their conviction that the worship of God was the most mm. important activity of life. He goes on to say, because of the deeper insights into the character of God as He has revealed Himself and His Son, Jesus Christ, they knew that elaborate ritual and asked external trappings eventually, they, they meant little, I'm adding words there, um, it was attitude of heart which mattered. I think that's getting to the, to the crux of the matter. The, the primary purpose of the liturgy for them then was to give proper and adequate opportunity For corporate expression of truly spiritual worship and i want to move this conversation into the idea of liturgy he explains here what the liturgy was meant to do which was to get us to the to the focus of the true reason we're there the spiritual worship how are you guys when you design worship how do you guys move uh use the liturgy to to do that to keep things simple and focused
2: I think what's interesting, especially so you are talking about liturgy and people may be listening, thinking, OK, so you're talking about simple worship. And then if you're not familiar with liturgy, you're thinking, OK, there are all these extra elements. How is that simple? Uh huh. <laughs> so <laughs> what's important to recognize in that is all of these elements, at least when 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 we're going through uh, laying out a liturgy and writing a liturgy, they're all uh, informed by and centered around Scripture. So they're all ways to get Scripture uh, in front of the people. So, uh, for instance, so we we have uh, we have a uh, uh, various elements. So we've got a call to worship that's always coming from scripture. We've got uh, prayer of confession that's always based around scripture, where it highlights our sin. Our assurance of pardon is coming from scripture. So that's always very central, um, and I think that's um, that's important. That uh, the idea is to get the, the people aware of the word and see that everything that we're doing is, is coming directly from there. It's not something that we've just made up, uh, because we think it'd be a cool thing or it would, it's innovative. It's not, it's all centered in the word. Yeah. You went exactly
0: where I was going to go That People will sometimes say, well, wait, you're talking the simplicity of worship, but now you guys are saying, well, we want to have a whole liturgy, uh, you know, kind of running through our service, organizing our service, and well, how does that work? Well, you know, you just said, it's all intending to put Scripture in front of us. You know, I would do the same thing as I was serving as a a pastor of worship and liturgy, where, you know, we would open service, and we would sing a a song, we would have a time of confession, a statement of assurance, prayer— uh, you know, and all of that coming straight out of the scriptures. Uh, it was the scriptures that were being put forth demonstrating those things. Yep. And, you know, and then moving from there into the proclamation of the word for that morning, uh, the uh, participation in the Lord's Supper, and then a closing in God's word, and, and that was it. So the whole liturgy was designed to put word and sacrament in front of people
1: this you guys are already drawing us to it the 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 language is called regulative principle uh dg hart in his book with reverence and awe he says this the regulative principle is the surest guarantee um of a christian's freedom not the notion that we may do whatever scripture doesn't forbid, which is uh the normative view. I can do whatever I want just as long as it's not forbidden in scripture. That's when you start adding all these things and you take what's simple and you make it very complex, and you actually end up uh covering uh the 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 thing that's supposed to be simple and and set forth. And that's when things get really bogged down and messy and you know, and people start to to lose the real the, the, the purpose of worship itself. Let's talk about how the regulative principle um, directs you fellows as you uh, begin to work through your liturgies. As far as regulative
0: principle uh, guiding that, I think one thing would simply be to look at what is prescribed in the New Testament. Uh, what, what do we find prescribed for worship in the Word? And, you know, there's some very basic stuff that, that's given to us, uh, and we've been talking about a lot of it. I mean, we've been talking Word and Sacrament, uh, uh, that, you know, the Word of God is to be preached. Um, you know, I've visited churches before where I've showed up on a Sunday morning, and there was no preaching.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, they decided to have, you know, somebody come in and, you know, share their story or something uh, about that, and I'm going, no. No, no, no! This isn't the place for this. Uh, you know, as we gather together on the Lord's Day, we are coming together to sit under the proclamation of the Word, to participate in the sacraments, and uh, and that is the simplicity, uh, and that is the prescription of Scripture. We don't get to alter that. We shouldn't. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, that's one way that I've I've seen that given to us.
1: Yeah. I, I think I think one of the things that's important is that. When when we come to the the elements of worship, we're not just looking for things that work, as you said, pragmatic, but we're making sure that we're using the things that Scripture commands us to be doing. Um, I think singing, obviously, is something we need to be doing, something that we're participating in. But I think sometimes it becomes more about, well, what song gets them worked up? What song gets them, gets them excited? Again, we're clouding it. We're missing it. It's is Christ the focus? Are they are they singing with a knowledge of whom they're singing to and why they're singing? Right. Um, when when they're hearing, uh, too many too many um, uh, pastors want to tell jokes and be be uh, accepted and liked. based upon their personality and their wittiness and we're missing it we're again we're covering up the simplicity of preaching which should be pointing the congregation of the lord to his word and how it how it focuses on christ their savior um when we're doing the 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 sacraments are we making it too much of his show you've already illustrated uh we're too talking too much about the person's past and their and their testimony uh before they're baptized or we're 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 trying to make sure that that um, uh, the communion service itself is is hip and cool. So we got uh, all the different uh, uh, gluten wafers and gluten free wafers and all the things. <laughs> I'm not saying those things aren't important, but I'm saying we're uh-huh. missing it. We're missing it. We're we're getting off task when we're not focusing on Christ. Right. And I think that's an important point. We we've got to make sure that we're, we're, we're allowing the Bible to drive us to Christ um, and not adding in just things for for kicks and giggles. And
2: I, I, yeah. have to, I have to ask that question a lot. So say choosing songs, there are thousands of songs out there and you have to ask the right questions is does this make the gospel clearer? Is it, is it clarifying uh, the picture of Christ or is it is it leading us off in other directions? And that's why somebody commented a few weeks ago, well you guys have a really kind of a, a smallish stable of songs, and that's because we're we're kind of picky on that because there are so many that just are going to, again, like you said, Chris, it points us back to us instead of Christ. <clears throat> so that's you gotta ask the right questions as you're choosing these elements, is is this thing that I'm doing one? Is it prescribed by Scripture? And then in the manner that we go about it, the words that we use uh, where it is in the sermon, all those kinds of things—is it helping to direct our focus where it needs to be, or is it distracting us?
0: Yeah, and you know something you guys mentioned earlier is how you use basically a—I guess I'll call it the, uh, the Heidelberg formula—in mm-hmm. your liturgy of guilt, grace, and gratitude. And if you guys don't know what I'm talking about, who are listening, a Heidelberg Catechism is basically laid out uh, in that manner. Uh, beginning with a section on guilt, uh, then a section on grace, then a section on gratitude. And so, uh, anyway, uh, as we do that, what are we really doing? Why would we do that? Well, because that's how the gospel is presented to us in Scripture. You know, when you go to a book such as Romans, which is Paul's great treatise on the gospel, what does he do? He spends three chapters hammering away on guilt Then he preaches for a few chapters on grace and, you know, and then concludes the book with, "Okay, now, how do we respond in gratitude, in worship? And so, you know, we implement that same type of framework because that's what we see presented to us in Scripture. And like you said, even with our songs, songs are not just songs. Songs are a teaching opportunity. Right. I mean... Think about it. I mean, how many songs do you have like the lyrics just drilled into your head? I mean, stuff from like 20 years, 30 years ago that you still know the lyrics to. Uh, Songs are an opportunity to put theology to music. Right. And and to make it rememberable. And, uh, you know, to to really I even just drive it into our hearts and our souls. Uh, And so as we sing... To the Lord, we we want to sing in you know exalting Him and exalting in Him, but at the same time uh, as those who are leading in those things, we understand this is an opportunity to preach the Word to in music.
1: Right. <laughs> One of the things that I, I don't want to miss before we close out this conversation is that, well, there's the narrowing focus from the Old Testament to the New, and the centerpiece is Christ, is the broadening or widening perspective of all those who benefit. Uh, the Catechism, or excuse me, the Confession in Chapter Seven, Section Six, talks about in them it is held forth in more fullness, talking about the narrowness and the focus being on Christ, the simplicity of the preached word and sacraments, and it says the evidence and the spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jew and Gentiles. And of course, uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 is the focus there. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free, male nor female, that the beneficiaries now is this broad band of all those who are in faith in Christ. And they are therefore the seed of Abraham, the true seed. They are the real spiritual Israel. And so while the focus is is narrow and our worship is simple, the effect and the benefit is wide mm-hmm. yeah and that's the glory of this thing this is that's the the amazing aspect that i don't want us to miss because sometimes we think well if we're going to reach a lot of people man we got to be all over the place doing all kinds of things that's not at all what the confession's telling us mm-hmm. stay narrow stay focused and watch the broad effect yeah i love what you're saying it's that
0: our worship has become more simplified and yet the beneficiaries have, have been more it's become more inclusive to that now more might participate in that i mean we think in the uh, in the old covenant it was only male children who were circumcised yeah. and but now under the new covenant uh all you know male female all are
1: baptized jew and gentile yeah, Jew and right. Gentile, slave well, e- and free. Yeah. E- even when you look at the temple, you go to the temple and uh it, there was the outer court was the Gentile court. They weren't allowed in. And that was the court of women. They weren't allowed in. And and it wasn't, you had to be a male, a Jewish male who had been faithful to the law to be able to enter, you know, clean and, and all that. So you can enter into the inner court. And, and as you moved in, and, and yet, no, Jesus... The narrow focus of the whole Old Testament, as it's pointing to him, he's the one who makes the beneficiaries Jew, Gentile, male, female, bond, free. This is the good news of the gospel. This is this is the blessing of the realized. Um, a uh, coming of Christ and all that he has brought with him. Uh, the kingdom is at hand. Praise God for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And preach that. Stay focused on that because that is an amazing truth we need to celebrate. And remember, that's the effect of being narrowly focused in simplicity right. on Christ. Any any closing thoughts?
0: I would just say this. You know, one of the things I think that this can be a revealing issue uh, as we examine our own hearts and we examine our own practice and how we minister, this can be a revealing issue of: uh, Do we believe that the gospel, that the, the preaching of the word, is sufficient? Uh, do we feel the need to somehow add to it if we're going to be successful and faithful in? fulfilling our ministry, um, I think that's something that perhaps this can be a, uh, a good kind of uh, heart check <laughs> kind of a, a time.
2: Yeah, it makes me think of, I know you guys have talked before about the means of grace, word and sacrament. They're the means of grace because they're the ways that God has promised to to work, so if we trust that, then we hold to those things, the simplicity of worship and trust the Holy Spirit's working through those means. And uh, we don't have to add. So really, it's, it's, uh, it's liberating. It's freeing. It's not constraining. Uh, it means that there's a lot less on us to trick somebody into something, but that just by staying faithful to what God's called us to uh, and do what, what he's laid out in Scripture, he's going to work and we can count on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think about it, too, of our desire, you know, man's desire for always to have something new, something fresh, you know, know, everything, you know, you do it, and it gets boring, it gets old, it gets stale. I have never once, in all of the probably hundreds and hundreds of times that I have come to the Lord's table to receive of the sacrament of communion, have never approached the table thinking, oh, well, this again, hmm. you know, <laughs> maybe we could do something else. Spice it up a bit. i know. Yeah. I mean, you you never come feeling that way. I mean, I, I can't imagine coming feeling that way at least. Yeah. I mean, I'm coming with the heart broken and being renewed in my, my faith in the gospel and being presented with, you know, the body and blood of Christ and uh, you know, coming in a, a contrite heart a repentant spirit uh that never gets stale that never gets old and i think the scriptures would affirm we don't need anything
1: more than that amen yeah amen well guys thanks for this conversation it's been really encouraging to me just to just to, to stay narrow stay stay focused keep it simple stupid right <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, just thanks for your time. Hopefully, uh, the listeners out there, if you've got any questions, comments, please feel free to, to uh, email us. We'd love to hear back from you on the Facebook page. It just gives us an opportunity to interact with you. So take care, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Confessional Collective Podcast. For more information and resources,
0: please visit confessionalcollective.com. And be sure to like our Facebook